You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, where you're going to hear a valuable hunting-based conversation that's tailored for us Southern folk. If you love what we do and would like to support Southern Ground Hunting, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southerngroundhunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes below. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. You can also support us by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps more than you know, and we greatly appreciate it. And now, let's get to the show. All right, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am here with Matthew Reeves and Adam Cruz today. And uh, man, I think we got a, a really cool. Pretty cool conversation lined up. Um, Adam, you're the one who kind of brought it up. Tell me, tell me kind of what your what your thought was, what we're going to break down today, and um, and maybe even tell me where you kind of came up with that idea. So I was setting up in my tree. Uh, I was going to say tree stand. But I was set up in the tree on Sunday, and you and I are like texting back and forth. And Parker and I have two hunting styles like that are polar opposites going on at the same time, right? Um, I'm not seeing deer. He's not seeing deer. Unfortunately, neither one of us are seeing deer at the time, but Parker had went in. I think you said you went in at noon and you're scouting your way through and you're trying to get on deer sign. You're trying to find that most recent information, that MRI and try to figure out where the deer are at at that time. And so the opposite side is like, I came in like way after church, way after lunch. I didn't get to my tree until about three o'clock. I had zero time to prepare, to get ready. Um, and, and I went into a, an area that historically produces acorns that historically has deer in it. Right. Uh, so I'm not going off any, I've done no scouting up to this point. 
Um, and so from, as I was thinking through it, I was like, you know, man, I, I really wish I had the time at this moment to be doing what Parker's doing, especially this time of year and being able to find the food source, find the deer. And so I just kind of asked the question to our, our text message group. Hey guys, what do you, you know, what do you guys think about this topic? And I think that's kind of how we got to where we are right now. Yeah. So the idea of MRI, most recent information yep. versus, um, historically good spots. Um, yep. and kind of talking about kind of comparing them and, um, doing a, a side-by-side look at them and seeing if there's, if there's pros and cons, especially this time of year in October, um, if there's pros and cons to either one, you know, and looking at and it. And also looking honestly. at different situations too, right? Like yeah. the different type of habitat you're hunting versus the different, different types of habitat I'm hunting and. And different types of habitat, maybe Matt's on, you know, like we all hunt different types you know, of terrain and different things right now. We also have the difference of rut timing and, yep. um, you know, you're in Tennessee going to be more typical rut timing. The bucks out there yep. right now, probably getting pretty close to starting to cruise. Um, and yep. the young bucks probably are for Real sure. Close. And, yep. uh, and Matt, you and I both here at home, we're hunting places where, uh, I, I think you're rut is like january right well i i hunt like three different ruts so my first rut is going to be second weekend of november okay so and then, then then it'll be january february yeah so you got two ruts that you're hunting um i'm hunting deer right now at this second i'm hunting deer that are rut, usually going to run around december so really we all three have three different months that we're our deer that are that we're currently hunting are kind of in different phases um, of of this fall, you know, phases of the rut, I guess you could call it. We're talking about extremely pre-rut phase for um, Matt, really pretty extremely pre-rut phase for me and probably getting pretty close to it for you, uh, Adam, yep, and, and, and in one of your areas, Matt. So um, I think that's a big part of maybe the difference in it but we can kind of compare it um we can kind of compare it as if we're hunting the same deer right uh i I think we can we can Uh, do that and assume you know we're hunting deer that are all in the same rut that'll probably make it make it easier to talk about this conversation and really compare the two different styles so historical versus historically good spots versus most recent information matt so we're going to tie in, uh, I, I talked about it in last week's emo fest that I had, uh, talking about the buck that I did not recover and also update for everybody. We still have not recovered the deer. They've gone back and, and looked for it. And, um, we, I don't think it lived. I think it's easy to cop out and say, Oh, I, it, it probably lived, you know, no, he probably didn't. <laughs> and it, it stinks. It really sucks, but I'm working through it. Um, but we talked about it last, last week I talked about, you know, Matt had some really good hunts that I want to talk about. And, and these are October, this is October hunting in Kentucky. So we're talking about this November, November rut. Um, and Matt, we talked about it before this trip to Kentucky. Do you remember what we said? Like, if we can find this, we're probably going to find the deer. Yeah. And that's a hot oak tree. Exactly. So, we we've, we've run simple. We've run it into the ground. I think um, we we've talked about it a lot in a lot of different podcasts 
here because it's been it has been a a a hot topic for us and really trying to key in on things. And if you'll notice, for for guys listening to this, if you'll notice, if you've listened to Southern Ground Hunting podcast for a while, like maybe since the beginning, I typically take one thing every season and try to really concentrate on it. You know, like like here's a different aspect, a different feature or a different something that I'm going to absolutely concentrate on this year. And I'm going to focus on it. Um, in previous years, it's been terrain, you know, and then years before that, it's been vegetation and um, food sometimes has something to do with it, but usually it doesn't. And so now I'm trying to add that into it for me. And so we have definitely talked about it, but Matt, that's exactly what happened. So I guess before we really get in deep with the different styles, Matt, just for sake of the conversation, why don't you share with us what happened um, in Kentucky, knowing that we went into the trip saying we're going to be looking for those feed trees in October, something to get bucks up on their feet. Can you go in a little bit more specifics into what you were looking for and kind of how your hunt went, Matt? Yeah, so we got up there first afternoon. I kind of went on to an area. And typically where I hunt back home, it's hill country, has some topography. So I, places I go, I try to use that to my advantage because I'm more comfortable on a hillside rather than in a, than in a bottom. So going into this, I found some places on the map, said if I can get to this spot, you know, I think this is where the DR. So I, I went in, you know, not really – I guess not really with high hopes of killing the big buck the first evening. I was just trying to ignite what these deer were doing at the at the time of our our hunt. Um, we went in, I think, what second week second weekend of October. So that's kind of you know people you hear the cliche October law whatever. So I go in this place and I start finding some sign, found a couple rubs, but I found these white oaks that were that were dropping on a hillside. Uh, it wasn't at, it wasn't on the very top of the ridge. wasn't at the very bottom of the ridge. It was about three quarters of the way up. People people talk about that all the time. But what I found were these trees and oaks that were in the bottom of this hillside weren't dropping, but the trees that were up on the uh, I keep at the top were dropping. I'm, I'm, my words are jumbling with me. But uh, I got up there, didn't find a lot of dropping sign, but saw a lot of feed sign where they were you know, moving leaves around, acorn holes, crack, whatnot. So they end up setting up, had a doe come, a few does come in, came from the bottom up to me. I shot her, um, ended up, my shot was a little lower than I thought. Uh, I was shooting a rage broadhead and the, the big cut actually saved me on this one. I didn't get a lot of penetration, but it ended up saving me for that. I'm going to jab at Parker a little on that. Um, but anyways, ended up finding her. It was like a, it was a gut shot and we let her lay that night, came back that more that morning after the morning hunt and, uh, she was still alive. Um, so I was able to track her down. She's been up, put another air in her. Hate, hate when that, that happens, but was glad that the meat was still good. Uh, we were afraid that if she did pass that night, that coyotes would have got to her, the meat would have spoiled. So that was kind of, that kind of set the tone for my trip, um, I told myself, this is what I need to do. This is where where the are, I believe. And so I kind of started, I guess, trying to replay that through my map scouting. Uh, Parker, I know me and you went on the boat the next morning, and I kind of just went into the area that 
uh, kind of like you said, Adam, historical. This is what I knew Kentucky. I, that This is my second trip to Kentucky. So I just knew the first trip I saw during the morning, why wouldn't there be, tri- you know, deer there again? You know, it's a big, big cross and cornfield. So I went in there and come to find out, Parker, when you were tracking your buck, you found tons of rubs, tons of scrapes, probably not even 100 yards from where I was set up. And where I was set up, there was no fresh buck sign. So it was pretty cool to see that. Um, but after that hunt, we got down, like I said, went and found the doe. And I told myself I was going to scout until about 2 o'clock. Um, started looking at these areas, found a road. Do you, do you want me to go ahead and go into detail on yeah, so did that evening set up? Kind of, but I, I do think it is important to mention you kind of blew over that where you were hunting at that day. I mean, that directly goes into this, um, this conversation and this comparison between the two. You said you went and set up in a spot that you knew had good trails in there in September. You saw a good amount of deer in there. It was a good spot, but a hundred yards away, a little bit further, a hundred yards away was, where you probably really should have been set up. You know what I mean? Right. And it's right. like, and, that, that and, was exactly where the bucks were at. And our conversation, I, I'd hunted, I ended up hunting there my last morning and set on that September hunt. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a good spot. Found the persimmon tree and all that, but there was just so many people in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was worried about, about going back in there, but yeah, that's a good contrast between what I did the first evening versus what I did the next morning was I walked in and scouted and found most reasons. I killed a deer. Mm-hmm. And then historically, yeah, I went to this place that I thought was going to have dropping acorns. It had had oak trees in there, but they just weren't dropping heavy because they were in those bottoms. Uh, I, re- I really felt the areas I found the acorns the most was on these hillsides. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, you know, we talked to Nathan Killen. Um, this would have been a couple years ago, I think, during Local Legends series. And, um, I believe it was Nathan that was talking about this is one of the things that he does while he's scouting is he finds the elevation in which, um, the, the trees are actually holding or or producing. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, you know, in hillier stuff. And I'm seeing that right now, it's always at a certain elevation. And right now what I'm finding is, is if I'm going directly to the top, they're not producing acorns at all which is usually they do um here but this year they're not producing much in the bottom i find a couple of them dropping in the bottoms but it is definitely on like the benches and the hillsides that's where i'm finding the most acorns that are that are dropping right now and and that's always been one of the things in in an, an old podcast that stuck out to me is finding that elevation that kind of seems to be the magic the magic elevation for that year. And, um, we found the same thing pretty much in Kentucky. Uh, most of the ones that were in just kind of the hillside, kind of gnarly spots were the ones that were dropping and the ones in the very bottom and the very top that look like good spots. The, the acorns weren't there. And so, yeah. you know, I think that's a, it's interesting though, to think about, um, you know, if you would have just went a hundred yards further, which it was, you know, kind of one of those like morning going in blind type things, sort of where you're not really able to scout for sign that well. 
Yeah. Not super yeah. effectively. Yeah, I found that one scrape and rub right there on the river. And I figured it was going to, you know, keep going. I didn't really want to hunt right on the river. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it didn't. It, it went away pretty quickly. Parker, back to the acorns that you were talking about, the spot that you hunted that morning where you saw all those deer, it had the topography to it. Hey guys, as most of you know, censorship for hunters and anglers is completely out of control. So we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat the mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're actually encouraged on Go Wild. They give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting other friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too like gift cards, free stuff like knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit GoWild.com to get started. Six Day Grind Coffee Co. is made for people like you, the ones out there grinding to reach your goals every single day. Whether it's 3 a.m. wake-up calls to get into the woods or just getting through your work day, A good cup of high-quality coffee to start your day is imperative. When you buy from Six Day Grind, you not only get a great bag of premium roasted coffee, you also have the opportunity to support conservation through their Coffee for Your Cause program, where 10% of your purchase goes to the conservation organization of your choice. Check out SixDayGrindCoffeeCo.com today. That's the word six, followed by DayGrindCoffeeCo.com that same morning it was a it was a just a pretty much straight up from the water to the top and i sat on the top which was uh, i still could have shot deer if i wanted to shoot a doe i could have shot one of them um but they went directly behind me so they came out of the bedding cover um and went down to the hot feed tree that was down there that i saw i saw it whenever i was walking up that morning uh, whenever I was hiking up that hill, I was like, oh, there's a pile of poop and there's a rub and there's all kinds of acorns that have been eaten. Surely the top has more, you know, and I didn't yeah. set up where I should have. And those deer beeline to that tree right behind me where I'd just, just been to. So um, the same thing holds true there. It was just, it seems to be a year where look mid elevation, don't look at the bottoms or the tops nearly as much. Because um, that seems to be true anywhere I'm at right now uh anywhere i've hunted guys i want to sidetrack us just for one second matt mentioned a comment he said i did not want to hunt close to the river and it just like grabbed my attention and i just want to know why and this the the reason why is is because like where i hunt you know in tennessee i basically have to hunt close to the river i can never get probably more than 200 yards away just because i'll run into private ground why did you want to stay away from the river just out of curiosity I guess it, I guess I felt like it was like a road almost. I, I don't know why I just had that. And I knew boats were going to be traveling up and down. It's a, felt like it's a pretty, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, when I'm 20 yards from where I get out of the boat and there's a scraping rub, I mean, it kind of doesn't feel natural to climb up a tree right there, which it probably would have been a good spot, you know, but yeah, I mean, I you would have been myself. I keep on going. You would have been, if you would have set up on that scrape and that rub right off the river, you'd have been probably 50 yards away from where I shot that buck at. Um, yeah. And, and, and I'd, he, I'd have probably shot some Asian carp too. 
Yeah, that's true. That that yeah. cost me experience. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a it's funny, Adam, because you've been doing the water access thing for a while. I've been doing it for a while, and I find that there's a lot of reasons. Like most of the bucks that I have killed or seen or shot at or whatever in yep. this place in Kentucky have been right off the edge of the water. Because when you think about you it, usually you usually see the water. Yeah, I can <laughs> almost always see the water out there. And if you think about it, though, it makes a whole lot of sense because people coming from the road or from the parking area, like that water is the deepest. That's deep, man. Like that's like, man, I went super deep this evening <laughs> or whatever. Like, and when you do it from the water, you're like, uh, it, it feels like you're doing the the fud thing, like going 200 yards from the road. You know, um, that's right. Well, that's how I feel. That's funny. Well, we know I'm lazy, so it works out for me. I'm, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right, um, Matt, just kind of get back into your uh, that evening because that was really the that was really where it kind of all came together. Where you kind of put seems like you put what you had seen in, in in the sign that you were finding. You really put it to work and found this area pretty quickly. Yeah. So. It, I wouldn't say it was kind of close to where you were. I bet it was within a mile of where you were, but it, I just looked on the map and there wasn't, there's not a ton of topography on this place. There is, there is some, but I wanted to kind of stay close to a thicket because I, I like to be near thickets, which here thicket is a CRP uh, kind of area. So yeah, you could compare that part, with a cutover, I think with a clear cut. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So there's a, there's a parking spot that like, you said um, in our conversation, there's always a truck parked there, always. So I knew if I wanted the spot, I'd have to get there early. So I parked at like 1 o'clock and started kind of scouting my way. Had had a pin on the destination I wanted to get to, so I'm walking down the, the road, and I just look over to my right, and I see kind of a hillside and start seeing white oaks up there. It was real windy, so I was like, well, I'm just going to trek up here, see if there's a, a bench I can't see on the topo map because a lot of the times you know a usga topo or even an angle shading it doesn't show some of the just slot benches that these deer will sit on so i start easing up the thing and i don't get a hundred yards or so from this trail and i just start finding droppings i mean dropping here dropping their boat poop everywhere acorns are falling like crazy and i knew i was like man don't don't stay in here long this is hot get out, come back, hunt the city. I mean, saw rubs, everything. So I, I get off the hill and I never, I never found a bench. I mean, this is just a hillside straight up full of white oaks. And there's a old ladder stand that sits up on the top of the hill. Now y'all keep that in mind. There's this old ladder stand up at the top. So anyways, I go out, out of spot for my buddy, bump some deer, whatever. So I'm sitting at my, in my truck. Well, here's, uh, here's a, funny part of this whole thing my buddy had to stay back and do some work and he calls me at or 2 30 and goes hey come get me and i'm like man i got i got my park already like you, you i gotta leave and come get you so i i said he ain't missing a hunt so i left my stuff at the gate and i hauled tail picked him up and we made it back so you know that, that's our first win but anyways we get it we get in there early the uh the wind was blowing got set up and I mean, it wasn't 45 minutes. I had a, a little three point come under me. I mean, you just, you just knew this was hot. Now I climbed about six, 
50, 60 yards down from that ladder stand because they didn't want to get up too close to where I felt like they were betting. I just wanted to kind of – I wouldn't say play it safe, but I knew there was plenty of sign on this hillside. Surely they're going to come down somewhere in between here. So that one buck comes through, and I'm you know, texting everybody, hey, just had a buck come under my stand. I could hear me eating his acorns. You know, it's just cool stuff. So I'm sitting there, and about, I don't know, 530, I look up, and I te- I see another buck, and I say, Parker, there's a mature three-pointer up <laughs> on the ridge. <laughs> and Because I was, I was so excited just to see a, a buck on this ridge. I was like, I'm going to shoot him. You know, I'm already telling myself. He's got a big body trigger, you know. I said, Alabama deer, I said like uh, that. mature, like question mark. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so, anyways, luckily, he didn't come down to me. He was he just stayed up there feeding. Well, as he's up there feeding, I see another deer. So, I give him a binos. A little six-point come down. So, I'm like, okay, you know, not going to shoot not gonna shoot him, but I was going to shoot that three-pointer if he gets <laughs> close. Sure, three-point <laughs> comes out here. And so I'm still looking and I see another buck and I'm, you know, I'm videoing this whole thing. So I see like an ice eight and I'm like, okay, if he, if he gets in my shooting line, I'm going to shoot him. So they're, they're all standing at about 40 yards right now, but the mid story with all the dogwoods and everything that was in this area just didn't present me a shot right now. I need him just to walk about 10 more feet. They'd be at 40 yards, drill them end the story, Kentucky tied out. Well, it, one of them goes up and, Walks right under that wood ladder stand. I was like, okay, okay, that's cool. But another one goes and walks right up under that ladder stand. I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm still looking with my bios, and I see this dang, I, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's just a dang good a good buck uh, comes off the the top coming down right to me. Does the same thing those deer did. Gets it 40 yards. He's about to walk out in my shooting lane, and he turns. And walks right under that ladder stand. I mean, within five yards of this this wooden ladder stand. So I'm just losing it, you know, excited. Well, they, you know, I'm hoping they may come back. They didn't. Well, 30 minutes later, here comes a big old 10 point off the top of the dang hill again. Does the same exact thing these other deer did. It feeds in the same spot, goes to the same trail under that stand, and they all disappear. So they all stayed up top. I ended up having some more small bucks and some does come in that evening. But that was the the best and worst hunt of my life because I saw all these deer and I couldn't capitalize on the opportunity. But Parker, to, to kind of emphasize that spot, I think a lot of people would look over that spot because it didn't have a bench on it. And, and you and I talked about it. It was just a hillside. They were just feeding on this hillside that had a trail on it. And they, they felt safe. I feel like it was also an overlooked spot. One, because somebody always parked at that gate, but I don't think they walked 100 yards off that trail. I think they kept going kind of like with the water access. They wanted to go deep. I didn't go that deep. And there's a, really, easy, there's a really good hunt. trail. There's a really good trail, too. And that makes people feel like they're going deep. And it's an easy walk, just walking down a dang yeah. cut road that goes all the way as far as you could ever want to go. And, and, and that makes when, people think. When Andrew, yeah. And when Andrew came in, when he, I, I had to stay in the tree later because I had deer all around me because I'd plant. Well, after I saw those deer, I was, I'm not, I'll sleep in this tree, you know, to wait for these deer to come <laughs> back. But 
I could hear him. I could hear him walking down the gravel road from where I was, where I set up. Um, that just goes to show you, like those deer hear you walking. Like if they're up oh, there, they yeah. know. So it's you All know, right. so fresh, fresh sign kind of trumped it for me. So, but but let's look at this. I just thought about this while you were talking. Okay, you got an old permanent ladder stand. Stop. You've got an old permanent. I know where you're stand, going. <laughs> and those deer came right next to it. So you're talking about a historically good spot, more than likely. Um, it, yes. Yep. It, it is a historically good spot. So here's, uh, I, I'll tell you guys kind of what I do. Okay. Because I think this is, and it obviously, uh, you're looking at a guy that hadn't shot any bucks this year. So it's not like this is gospel truth. This is just how I do it most of the time. Um, and you guys see if you can relate. So I'm like you, Matt, I would have, I would have not said that that ladder stand, uh, I would have probably gotten away from it mostly cause I don't want it in the camera shots. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of mm-hmm. like I'm sitting right next to this ladder stand. Never even thought that. Yeah. So I, you know, it's just one of those oh, things. Well, you, you can avoid that in my footage. So yeah. yeah. I think, I think one of the books rubbed the ladder off. <laughs> yeah, you know. he, he made a rub on the freaking, <laughs> yeah, just on the leg of it. Pissed on, pissed on it and went on. So you're talking about a spot that is historically good. There are, I can think of a lot of spots for me that are historically good spots for one reason or the other. Just every year, it seems like there's an oak that produces close by. It's close to a bedding area, um, blah, blah, blah. It's in a core area. It's just the everything around it offers exactly what the deer are looking for every year. But I almost, especially this time of year, I'm almost always scouting my way into it. Like, like it, I'm, I'm leaving it open for discussion like so in a lot of the videos i say i'm going over here this is where i'm trying to make it to we'll see if i get there you know that's kind of the kind of how i do this 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 time of year and if i don't find what i'm looking for then i mean i I might just move on to something else if i get to my spot that's historically good uh, and i don't find what i what i want this happened to me on sunday evening um went up to a spot it wasn't dropping like I thought it should be. There wasn't much deer sign, so I moved on until I found it, and um, and 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 I did find where the deer kind of shifted over to. I felt like, um, but I, I think that's about the best way this time of year to do it for me, is to go scout my way in. It's very hard to do that though in the mornings. We already kind of mentioned that going on a morning hunt. It's hard to it's hard to scout your way in. And you can't see anything yeah. in the dark. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, especially this, this time like of year. Historical areas in the morning. Yeah. This time of year. For sure. Um, do you guys ever in the mornings, I feel like there is one thing that I do that could be beneficial, especially when you're looking for, when you're looking for acorns, a lot of mornings I'll walk in and I'll walk maybe 50 yards and just stop and stand there for a minute and see if I can hear acorns dropping somewhere do y'all ever do that y- yes no. i would say yeah for me <laughs> like i'll just even like on my my side this this last week when i went kind of blind and had been able to scout like although i know exactly where i'm going that was one of the first things i'm listening for you know it's like can i actually and it's even after i got out i was like if i'm not hearing anything 
maybe this place is just cold. You know, there's yeah. nothing dropping. Yeah. And see, Ma, I would come back to say on that is acorns drop at different times of the day, even on like an evening hunt. Like I noticed they dropped really heavy, like at four o'clock and then like right at dark, they quit. So what's the difference in the morning? What I've found is they don't drop in the dark when you're walking in. And as the sun's coming up, they start drop. They start dropping. That, that, that's just my experience. Yeah. That could be true. I mean, I've had those situations happen where I climb up and I'm like, I mean, flip. They're dropping all the way over there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They did just like a tree. I, I don't know if the, the moisture content changes in, in the tree or, you know, with wind blowing squirrel, you know, squirrels yeah. knock acorns out of the tree all the time. And I'm about, I'm about to start being a squirrel hunter because they're just ticking me off this year. Um, <laughs> I've had more squirrels fool me of being a deer this year than I, I guess I ever have. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that's my take. If we can't on kill deer, maybe we can just buy some dogs and start squirrel hunting. Do a hey, podcast on that. I know yeah. a good spot. Yeah, armadillos are the ones getting me this year. I'm seeing a ton of armadillos here in Alabama. Um, yeah, you spitting you know, on them. Yeah, yeah, spitting yeah. on them with with accuracy. Um, I think <laughs> you need a, to get like some some battery acid or something, spit it on a deer, and try to kill it. Wow, that just went a weird direction. <laughs> Think you could do it? Where did that come from? That was a, that was a come from church. That was a Luke. That was a Luke Parker thing right there. Yeah, hundred percent. That's for you, Luke. <laughs> who's who's the guy that he the spear guy? Tim Wells. Tim Wells. Oh, he's yeah. all over my he's all over my Facebook page now, like dropping spears on crocodiles and stuff like that. <laughs> That's Luke's hero, man. He freaking loves that guy. <laughs> um. All right. So so historical was the ladder stand, right? Like somebody knew yeah. for whatever reason. And Matt, you said whenever you walked up there the next morning, you walked up to that ladder stand, you were immediately like, why didn't I do this earlier? Cause there were rubs everywhere. Right. Yeah. There were rubs. And then there was a huge trail and I, I climbed right where they were feeding, um, the next morning. And I climbed the same tree for the evening as well. And that, that bit me in the butt, but uh, you know we'll we we can talk about that in a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, so. Let's let's push pause real quick. Are you guys old enough to where y'all had to build ladder stands when you were kids growing up? Or did where? So I grew up. I yes, I'm old enough, but I grew up. Yeah. I grew up in West Texas where ladder stands aren't really a thing. It was all yeah, it was all deer blinds and shooting houses and stuff. So yeah, I, we did. All I that. have memories of hunting of hunting one with my dad. I think it's one. He's built one. So, That's it. I'm old enough to where we didn't really have like metal ladder stands to erect. Like eventually we did, but in the beginning stages, like I remember as a kid, my uncle, my dad, my granddad talking about like every time we would erect a ladder stand, like the conversations that would ensue. And it's literally, hey, you know, I've been sitting on this hillside and I continue to see deer. And then the next guy's like, hey, I've been sitting on this hillside and I killed this deer and killed that deer where'd you kill them at and it's this like cross triangulating an area and it's like okay we've seen enough deer here this is worth a day's work let's go you know erect a ladder stand and that's no easy job i mean it's not like you just go to bass pro put it together and slap it up on a tree like this thing this thing's like actual work 
Uh, so there's a lot of thought that goes into this. And so you think about like Matt going up into Kentucky, right? Uh, I don't think anybody said <laughs> erect on this podcast more than Adam at this point. <laughs> Just, I always say erect. He keeps saying it. An erect the ladder stand. <laughs> so Matt, you know, you, you're going to Kentucky and you see this big old ladder stand that's erected in this spot. Like somebody had to put a lot of work in it was it was huge. It was it a huge, huge ladder stand. I saw the saw the video. I mean, this thing's not a small guy. Like they spent a lot of time getting this thing up. They had to have known historically deer were walking in that path for whatever reason. Maybe there's oaks dropping, maybe it's the terrain feature, maybe it's habitat. Adam, uh, there's a lot of work that went into that. You and I talked with a local guy several years ago that told us Oh yeah. This spot. Yeah. He told us the exact spot, and he said, "Whenever no, there's no way, this, this is my secret spot." You know, <laughs> no. so <laughs> so you're talking about a, a place that historically is is pretty good. And he mentioned the ladder stand. He mentioned everything yep. in that conversation, and um, it it's just it's interesting to know that in that situation, MRI and historical was kind of ended up being in the same spot. I mean. They cross yeah. paths. Let me right give there. let me give you another scenario in uh, in that same WMA in Kentucky. Now, no one told us about this slider stand, but I had went in blind one time into Kentucky. My first time on this WMA, I actually was looking for like a feed tree top area, found where acorns were dropping. I ended up seeing multiple bucks that set, did not kill one. I came back a different route the next time I went in and ran across a ladder stand on the edge of a field. I dropped off over to the ridge on the hillside in the wooded side. Um, and what I noticed was like all the deer that were coming into that area. And like, this is a buck mecca for me. Like I, I just see buck. Now I've told you about the spot Parker. Like I always see buck coming there. They always come by the stupid ladder stand. I don't understand it. I, I do like, you can look at a map and you can kind of put it all together. You're like, and the last time I was there, like, I actually videoed that hunt. I had two bucks come by. I ended up trying to draw back and couldn't get a shot on these bucks. And like, if I'd been sitting at that ladder stand, I killed those deer. Easy, easy. Okay. Should've so the stand. have we reached a point in the public land hunting scene where the trend, maybe you could call it a trend possibly. Um, but just kind of the, the known thing is we don't hunt those ladder stands because those are dinguses that put those up we're saddle hunters or we're mobile hunters or we're whatever kind of yeah, bs you we want know to talk better. about yeah we thermal and, hubs they don't even know what thermal hub is yeah <laughs> yeah and so have we reached the point where potentially you know it, it's kind of reversing itself um maybe it is true that at, at one point the deer were all just kind of doing like living like hermits way back in the in the deep back country past where all the fuds hunt blah 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 and now every, i mean literally everybody's doing that right like we can say like oh yeah. most of the people aren't going to go 300 yards from the road no dude most people that i talk to and i run into on public land number one they they, they are in tune right like they're they're not stupid yep. they're not idiots <laughs> they're they're consuming lots of good content and taking it to heart and so it's almost like like what I was saying in Kentucky the whole time, hunt dumb, you know, because yep. 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm going to keep using the water access and doing things that way until it stops working. But, I mean, there, there, there is some validity. I killed my, the, the deer that I killed on opening day here in Alabama. There's a lock-on stand freaking 30 yards behind me. If I would have been sitting in it, I wouldn't have had to take that awkward, stupid shot at that doe because I would have had her right here at my strong side because for whatever reason, the person who put up that tree stand knew that that was a good spot. Um, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, one of those things. I mean, now I'll be honest with you right now, after the thing happened with Matt, I am less inclined to get away from the ladder stand and more inclined to maybe like look at it. You know, if my thoughts are lining up with that stand, then I can at least be confident for myself. You know, like me and this guy had the same idea. And he went through a whole lot more trouble to put up a whole tree stand and drag that thing in here. Like, let's yeah, let's try it. I killed my my biggest buck I killed last year. I killed with a lock on stand. Uh, I don't know, maybe fifty yards behind me. I would have killed the same deer if I would have been sitting in it. Yeah, and that's the Part second buck I've killed in that spot. So, like, yeah, the, the, I want to ask you this. You mentioned this earlier. You said that you wouldn't have set up close to that ladder stand because you didn't want it in your video or your camera shot mm-hmm. why is that um just because of the 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 is taboo the right word or the stigma the stigma around it of yeah. like get away from the ladder stands and and things like that you know what i mean yeah like it makes it look yeah. and some sometimes this is just me being transparent it makes it look less wild and untouched and mm-hmm. unpressured um, yeah. then you want it to. And there's also mm-hmm. the other thing of like, dude, if, if somebody else has a, a stand in this spot, it's because they knew something. And like, I don't want somebody to recognize their tree stand in my, in my videos. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And be like, Oh, yeah, that's where point. he's at. What? Do you want to know more about saddle hunting? Well, you can go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you know me, you know that I love to have a system for all of my hunting equipment, where everything works together, and we preach about it a lot on this podcast. When you buy from Tethered, you can rest easy knowing that all your gear is designed to work together as a system. Saddles, platforms, ropes, climbing sticks, and a ton of other great gear just for saddle hunting can be found by visiting tetherednation.com today. That's tetherednation.com. Check them out. When when we were just recapping on that, I, I was kind of asking myself the question, like, if I was in that situation, why would I not want it in the thing? Or why would I not want to hunt near the stand? Mine was more of a pride thing. Like, yeah, I want this spot to be a spot that I found, not that, Hey, somebody hung a ladder stand there. I'm just going to go off of what they did. I wanted to be something I I did, yeah. you know. And that's, I, you know, that may just be a little rough, you know. That oh, well, well, if it's there, why don't you just, you know, take advantage of it? Well, because I I just don't want to. You yeah, know? that's um, a good. That's, that's probably 
that's probably deep down in my heart. That's probably it. It's like I found this spot. This is my spot. You know yeah. what I mean? And that and that's you know I was joking earlier. Don't don't tell about my secret spot. You know, yeah. but no, something where you hunt. Somebody's been there before you. It especially on this WMA, you'll walk in at the nighttime. And you'll think that there's spiders on all the trees, but it's just night eyes from where these old men have put out thumbtacks on trees. And you, I mean, you could get on one trail and get off on another trail and do do a whole circle back to where you started. <laughs> Every spot, dude. I mean, there's, I, I'm we deal with it when you do public land hunting, and and the reality is, is right now people are consuming more content than ever, and they're learning more than ever. Um, just the average guy is learning a lot, man. And so there's going to be competition. There absolutely is. And so I like it because my style, and this kind of goes back into into the comparison, my style of hunting is, is really MRI, I would say, like right now, this time of year. And so even with people kind of popping up in the other places that I hunt, because maybe they're using a boat now, or they got a kayak and they were inspired and they're looking around and they're finding, we're finding the same stuff. Right. And so it's kind of making me go, okay, let's go find something else. You know, let's broaden our, what's next, broaden our horizon, I guess. And like that to me, that is, I don't know that anybody has ever like really succeeded anything, succeeded at anything. Like, I, I don't know that I would call it a success if there wasn't some type of uh, adaptation that you have to overcome, right? Companies have to adapt. Wow. Every company in the world, every brand in the world has had to adapt to COVID. And the ones who didn't, and they're kind of probably not here anymore. And so, like, you look at how these big companies like Nike or big successful businessmen like Jeff Bezos um, or Mark Zuckerberg, like, they 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 rose to the top but because they adapted to what was around them and so that's as a as a deer hunter we kind of have to do the same thing and that's why i think this conversation is is valuable have you ever been on these posts on facebook um where somebody says like my spot right or you hear it on a video where somebody says this is this is my spot those are the kind of guys who like this guy got into my spot by whatever using an e-bike and I've been hiking in there all my life or, you know, whatever the case may be, you hear that talked about quite a bit these days. And it's like, I mean, man, you gotta, you gotta move on. (laughs) You gotta adapt. You gotta, you gotta shake it off. Somebody else found it and the spot might not be as good anymore, but sometimes it might be. And I think that's when you find the historical and the, it's historically good for a reason. It's historically good because every year they're going to be laying down sign in that one area. And that's where they cross over. And those are the good spots. That's like, that's the ones that you try to like, I have areas that I deer that I hunt that I've killed bucks at that now 48,000 people, uh, have figured out and they know, and I I don't really go back in there much. Um, but if I would have just stuck to that one spot and never went and found anything else, well, I'd be done killing deer. <laughs> you know, I'd be finished. And so you just got to find it. Um, Adam, you have to deal with this a lot, right? Yeah. Like, cause you have yeah. small pieces of public land that if one person finds out about any of it, they're, I they, mean, you're done. 
yeah, you'll see fly. Like I was uh, texting you and Walt this weekend, like a spot that I had never seen anyone on prior to last year. Now, last year I knew that some other guys had found it. Now there's like flags and tack, like those cat eye things on trees, like right beside the water. And it's like, you're right beside, you're following the water for a hundred yards. I don't even know why they need flagging to get to a <laughs> spot, but they do. Right. Um, and so, yeah, they're being discovered. Water access is becoming more popular. All the different tactics we're talking about is becoming more popular. Uh, Parker, you and I, we've talked about when we go to the WMA that we hunt and we compare our maps, just like blindly looking like where waypoints look very similar because we read, listening, and we're thinking the same thing. So one thing that I've been thinking is, as we've been talking tonight is around, and I don't want to go down a rabbit trail of, uh, of getting off topic, but there's this book called Blue Ocean Strategy. Now, the Blue Ocean Strategy is really like a business-based book. And what the, the whole premise of the book is, is like there's an ocean that's blue. And within that blue ocean, there's no sharks. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no chum. But then you got the red ocean where all the, the chum is, where you got all the bait fish and all the sharks are swimming. I kind of think of that in, in this situation. And like for businesses to succeed and to thrive and to get away from competitors, they have to start thinking differently than their competition. And as we, like, if you're in the hunting space and like we're talking right now about the different strategies we're employing, there's thousands of people listening to our strategies about water access, about where we drop pins on a map, and they're going to start doing the same exact thing. Eventually, we're going to have to start thinking, hey, that's bringing a lot of pressure to these deer. What are, what are we not thinking about? How can we think outside the box about how to get on deer in different ways? And I, I don't know like how we do that, but I think we do have to be a little bit more creative and probably like, that's why I get, I told you guys jealous of you. Like you've got feet on the ground. You've dedicated hours during that day to think outside the box. And I feel like I'm still inside my box of where it's historically produced. Doesn't mean it won't work, but you know what? Like, I feel like getting outside of the box is, uh, is the best strategy overall. Man, I, I absolutely agree. And, and uh, so funny, funny story. Whenever uh, we first, whenever Southern Ground Hunting first launched, um, I had actually reached out to Dan on a podcast idea that I had um, before Southern Ground was ever even a thing. And it was going to be kind of focused around outside the box hunting strategies. And it was like, I think I'm pretty sure that was even used in the, in the title of what I pitched to him. And, um, but then come to find out he was looking for a Southern based podcast. And so it just kind of worked out and we made that happen. Uh, but that's exactly kind of what my thought is on it is there's always going to be something, there's something else. Like there's, there's something different that we're not thinking of. Um, and somebody will, right? Like, like somebody's going to, to figure out new tactics. They're going to, there's going to be new science that comes out about deer and whatever. And so to me, the best way to maybe figure out what that next thing is, is absolutely being a student of it. Like trying to go and say, do different things. You know what I mean? One of the things that I'm kind of thinking about is for, buck hunting like for going after a buck early season in big woods is to be really keying in on wind changes um wind direction changes throughout a specific day so those days where 
an average deer hunter would look at the the map and say, crap, the wind's all over the place. I'm just not going to go today because it's doing dumb stuff. I want to look at the map and say, okay, the wind's going to be blowing out of the west today. And then at 11 o'clock, it's going to be coming straight out of the east. It's going to shift. And that is something worth getting a buck on his feet for to move into a different area. And so it might just be saying, I'm going to set up on this side of the ridge in such a way where he's not going to smell me where he's at right now. But whenever he gets up and starts moving to go to his new bed for the wind shift, because they don't have the weather channel or app, right? They don't know. They're just like, oh, flip, the wind changed. I got to move. And I've, I've had it work, man. Like, it works pretty dang good. If you can find a core area and know where he's – and sometimes it's just an assumed thing. It's like I'm just guessing uh, that he's going to – he's bedded over here right now, and he's going to bed over here when that wind shifts. Um, that's something that happened, uh, when I killed the, the biggest deer I've ever killed in Alabama for sure. Um, and it was an early season, October hunt. And I was set up over the spot and about six, I don't know, maybe it was seven o'clock, seven thirty. The, the wind was supposed to change and completely change directions. And about six thirty is when it actually did it. And here he comes just be bopping through to change his bedding area. And I shot him. So that's something that's kind of outside of the box. And now however many people, you know, are thinking about it now and they're like, Oh crap, I'm going to learn that. But it's just that, you know, like thinking about little things and building a hunting strategy based on it. And if you make it happen multiple times, right. Especially on something, something that not a lot of people are thinking about, you make that happen multiple times. Then you have a case to say, this works. You know, one yeah. thing I want to add to that is like we've talked about the feed tree, which we get a lot of that from Warren Womack. Another thing we could probably pull from Warren Womack within this topic is the fact that how much he journals and how much information he puts in. And if you were to go back and look at all your hunts like you're talking about right now and put data together in reporting, man, you'd be able to like really find some outside the box strategies that we're probably not even thinking of today. Like I don't do a good job of that, but every year I think, man, I'm going to start freaking journaling every single one we'll talk about where i was at when like coordinates so i can go back and look at it and like really uh put something together so i can start thinking outside the box but that's uh that's something i just gotta do a better job of that's good that's really really good stuff anybody have anything else like i think if if we were to compare the two uh, i would lean in on on really i hate to say it but i would lean in on both Right. If you're an evening hunter, absolutely the MRI is going to be your best friend. If you're a morning hunter, which most of the time I'm a morning hunter. And so I'll use my evening hunts to. So if I go on an evening hunt and I'm like, okay, I found this and this and this. I hunted here, didn't see any deer, but they're still here. I potentially blew them out. This is a great example. Last week, this hunt that we were talking about on Sunday. Sunday evening, I went in, didn't find what I was looking for, scouted, scouted, ended up feeling like I bumped a buck out of his bed because there was a steaming fresh turd in it, rubs all over the place. And I was like, I definitely bumped this deer out. Uh, went to a different spot, found some more sign kind of right down the ridge from there. Set up on it, didn't see anything. Next morning, Monday morning, I come in and set up over that bed. That buck came in before daylight, laid down. He bedded down and I heard him and I texted Matt and I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure this buck just walked in. Like, I'm pretty sure he's here. And I didn't think anything else about it, really. I never heard anything else. 
I just like, maybe a deer just passed through, whatever. Sun started coming up and I'm looking, looking, I can't see anything in, in the, where I think the bed is at. Of course, I don't know for sure, but I think the bed is in this one spot. And I'm like, man, I can't tell. I don't think there's anything in there. So I get my camera out as the sun starts coming up and turn it towards me to do like a little, little interview. And as soon as I turn the camera, I'm like, oh, there he is. He stands up. This is what I'm assuming happened because of the way that it happened. I all of a sudden, out of nowhere, see a back of a deer just ease away. And I can hear it walking, and then I can't see it anymore. It just vanishes. So here's here's my theory on this. I believe the deer came in, bedded down. As soon as it got daylight, he was probably looking in my direction and saw me move that camera, just saw the slightest movement, got up, and just moved off. Um I don't know that that's what happened. There would be only, that's really the only way to explain the deer being there (laughs) just out of the blue, you know, just like I would have seen him or heard him anywhere else. Uh, if he had walked in, you know, I was being very, I was watching very closely. And, uh, anyway, so that's kind of the, um, benefit, I guess, of finding the the most recent sign and then having encounters and, and another morning sit, throw a morning sit at it. If it doesn't work because you know where the sign is and it's a new day and you can access it uh, accordingly. So um, is there, do you guys have anything that you want to add to the conversation as far as like the comparison? No, I, I think everything we've covered, everything good. And I, I guess looking back at my situation and if you, if, if you analyze it enough, if you go into areas that are historical and if you have enough historical areas, you are going to find MRI in those areas. So yeah. when you know, if if you're doubting yourself, that that's not a bad bad place to be. Like like we've like we've been saying, I think we've repeated ourselves. You know, to where, hey, if you if you have an area that you know produces, go to it. There's probably going to be some sign there at some point during the season. Yeah. Um. That that's my takeaway. Absolutely. The thing I'd add to Matt's uh, piece right there is keep up with it when you're seeing those deer within specific times of the season because those deer may not be there in November when they are in October or vice versa or the same works for December. Like I went to one of my honey holes this past weekend and in like November it's going to be super hot. In December I'll be lucky to see a deer. Just habitat changes and the deer move out. I've started doing that with trail cameras. Uh, leaving them and I'm letting them soak all year and seeing, Hey, it's hot. You know, the first week of December, it's, there's no deer here the rest of the season. Um, and you know, a lot of people I feel get an area that they're comfortable with and continue to pound it and pound it and pound it. And then they, they end up killing a deer there, but they may have 30 sits when 29 of them, they don't see a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, be, be be very meticulous with your areas when you're doing that. That's right. Well, good stuff, guys. Um, again, if you have any any thoughts on this, the the last time we, I guess, two episodes ago, uh, I got a lot of messages on Southern Ground uh, Hunting Instagram and on Facebook as well, just about trying to read uh, read this type of sign the best. If you have any questions about things like that, just uh, send them over, and we'll do our best job to to try to answer those, but, um, man, this season has been, uh, 
I started out with the mindset of I'm just going to go and have fun. And then I had a bad experience with that deer and it's kind of thrown me off. It's kind of messing with my head. And so I'm going to get up early tomorrow morning, like really early. And I'm going to go out with a stick and a string with a recurve. I'm going to say, screw the bucks for right now. And I'm going to take this recurve and I'm going to try to shoot a doe with it. Cause I've never shot a deer with traditional equipment. So I'm going to try to get back into having fun, knowing full well I'm probably going to miss a couple of them um, before I ever kill one. That's a lot of fun when you first start. Mm-hmm. So. First time I ever bow hunted, I think I missed like four deer the first sit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was one of the funnest hunts I've ever been on. Yep. Good luck, buddy. Yep. It's going to be, it'll be fun. And I, that's what I want to do. And, and we talk about these strategies and they really get my, you know, we can nerd out on them, but man ultimately if you're going out there and you're just not having fun then what's it for so go out and have a good freaking hunt like just enjoy it take it all in and make educated choices make good decisions try to put yourself in the right spot but if it's not the right spot it ain't the end of the world and that's what i'm having to remind myself of over and over again um so let's go kill some deer fellas thanks for coming on Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And as always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Tethered, Spartan Forge, and Six Day Grind Coffee Company. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook or Instagram or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And you can be sure to check us out at southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, read some blog articles, and all that good stuff. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next week.